Hello and welcome to Politics in the Pulpit, a lectionary-based preaching resource designed to ask the provocative questions of how politics and our preaching might get tied up together this week. My name's the Reverend Chris Upton. I'm sat here in the Christians Against Poverty office where I work as the church funding officer. I'm also the national lead to the Waterways chaplaincy. But before that, for 23 years, I preached from the pulpit at Howarth in West Lane, uh, West Lane Baptist Church in Howarth. Each week, I'm joined by a different guest and I'm delighted to be joined by John Cooper. Uh, John has done many different things and he'll tell you about them right now. Thank you very much, Chris. It's great to meet you and uh, hear of some of your wide ranging experience. So my name's John. I'm director of a Christian ecumenical peace charity called the Fellowship of Reconciliation, which has friendly relations with the Baptist Peace Fellowship, you'll be pleased to hear, and well. has Christians from all sorts of different backgrounds in its membership. Before that, I had the privilege of working for Christian Aid for what the charity that's now known as All We Can, and also for the Joint Public Issues team. For me, I am passionate and inspired about enabling churches institutionally and Christians within them to live out the gospel principles of peace, justice and hope that we find contained within the Bible. Thanks, John. Well, before we get into our texts, I'm going to just highlight some uh, headlines from England and around the world, just to put ourselves into context. Some of you will have been kept up late with the fireworks going off as we've remembered Guy Fawkes and celebrating burning the Catholics. Well, that's what we used to do. Uh, Storm Kieran caused chaos and disruption at the end of last week, and there's been more flooding in parts of the UK. Of course, there are more floods around the world. Well, Somalia uh, and Mexico. We sadly know about the ongoing situation in Israel-Palestine, where the violence shows no sign of diminishing, and we may well speak about that, I guess. The UN envoy also says that the UK is in violation of international law over poverty levels, the cost of living crisis, more on people's minds as we enter these colder seasons. And that is in our office here. Conflict continues in Ethiopia between national troops and local militias. Conflict in Sudan continues despite peace talks resuming in Jeddah where nearly 10,000 have been killed and 6 million displaced since April. Tomorrow, Tuesday, that is, the King Charles will give his first ceremonial address. Not a very cheery week, I'm afraid. And it's Remembrance Sunday on the 12th, following Remembrance Day on the 11th. And this week is the Living Wage Week and next week is Interfaith Week. So, John, with all those headlines, uh, and sorry if it wasn't meant to be a flippant quip about how we celebrate November the 5th, where, where do you put preaching and politics? How have you tied those two together in general? So I, I'm a long-term trainee Methodist local preacher. I keep working for uh, Christian-based organisations, so having that free headspace has, hasn't always been there. But I think for me, the discipline of the lectionary is where you begin from because it's an inspiring and challenging thing to think these texts first orally spoken then written down thousands of years ago seem always to have something to say about the world in which you sit today and read them and so i think over the years i've learned that the 
preaching is not necessarily about providing a sort of essay on the world around, but it should help the congregation and the minister explore what it means to live in the world around and to recognise that all the different things you've outlined actually influence who we are when we sit there and when we listen. So I think it's about sort of almost helping be a sponge to those things and then reflecting more on what does that then mean we're actually going to think about today. Thank you, John. And one more follow-up question before we look at the text themselves. You've had no prior warning about this. I'm aware that we're both sort of free church, Baptist, mm -hmm. Methodist, and uh, the church where I was was founded in 1748. So yep. a long time back, a long time before news headlines would have hit our small Yorkshire village. So I'm wondering where you balance the, the big national headlines that we read about with the smaller local, more, dare I say, parochial politics and how that influences the preaching. That's a really great question. I think you're right to already bring up different church traditions, because if we think about the fact it's Remembrance Day, I know from our network and from others that some ministers enjoy Remembrance Day. Others say, I really try and avoid it at all costs. Mm -hmm. And I think for me, the starting point is often, what is your church's context? If you're the only chapel in the village, how you react and respond on something like Remembrance Day is going to be really different. So if there's a big yeah. Anglican church over the road that does the state church stuff, actually, you might be able to do something very different because all those who come and all those different expectations are going to be very different. So I think the first thing is, think, OK, who am I in this space? I think the other thing is to think about where are we in our story, both if you're there regularly as a church, but also more broadly as a local community. So mm. I walk with my son to school most days of the week. So I get a bit of a sense of things. You know, earlier this year, I ended up sat on the streets in the pouring rain with a man who'd overdosed on drugs while we rang and helped to get the ambulance come. Now, I don't share that to try and big myself up. It's one of the most frightening things I've ever done in my life. You know, I could see someone desperately in need. I didn't quite know what to do. Mm. I wouldn't necessarily reflect on that straight away if I was preaching the following Sunday but just those low-level awareness of actually there is huge amounts of destitution and mm. local drug use in the area would come up at some point if I felt some of the themes or stories that we were reading within Scripture fitted that week. And will be known by your, your congregation, but not mine. Yeah. yeah. And I'm aware we have touched, yes, most of the news was, was bad news. I'm aware that it's the 90th year since the white poppy was mm. 1933 so there's something about the peace pledge union and white poppies that you may want to reflect on for this sunday coming as well so. uh, absolutely and this is one which goes back a bit to you know the church can get its proverbial knickers in a real twist as it tries to be you know it tries to stand for something but it doesn't quite know why and i think at times remembrance sunday can be it well we don't want to upset anyone well actually mm. the broad church has a huge peace witness and the mm. peace poppy exists because women in the 1930s were fed up of seeing their, mainly at that point, men brutalised, broken, killed by war. So they created the white poppy as their way of saying never again to warfare. And I think mm. that if instead of thinking, oh, we mustn't upset people, we think actually, no, all the different poppies have different stories to share, then mm. we can bring a more honest offering to our congregation, a more honest offering to God 
because that's ultimately why we gather in worship. And when I had the privilege a few years ago of preaching on Remembrance Sunday at a chapel not far from here in South Birmingham, that's what I did. I shared three different stories that reflected on the themes of three different poppies. And a former military man shared an incredibly personal experience of his with me afterwards at that awkward handshake stage where usually people just say nice hymns and shuffle on. Because for him, he'd never heard a sermon where they were invited people to think on their own story of mm -hmm. what they were remembering. They'd always heard the sort of posturing either for or against or whatever. John, thank you. Thank you for that. But we must get into these texts now. So we're in, uh, I think it's proper 27, year A. And our lectionary texts are Joshua 24. Choose who you will serve. You are at a Robert Frost-like fork in the road. Psalm 78, a call to remember the works of God. 1 Thessalonians 4, Jesus will come again and his followers will be integral to this. And Matthew 25, the 10 bridesmaids and the call to be ready, to be urgent and to stay alert. Where are you starting, John, in your prep for Sunday? So I always like to read all of the readings and a friend of mine used the phrase, let them percolate. I think that's true. So I tend to almost see what's the big theme knitting them together. And, and for, for me, a big one is the second coming of Christ. It's just something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a really simple, easy, light one. Just to, you know, make us feel good in seven minutes and then we go home. The, the reason I like it is I've always loved the short parable about the thief in the night. How if you knew when the thief was coming, your house would be perfectly prepared and they wouldn't be able to get in. But you don't. And the same is true of the coming of Jesus. Mm -hmm. And as someone who's felt the sort of intrusion of being burgled on various occasions, lost my bike that way and found that incredibly intrusive. What it helped me begin to understand more is about the need just to be always present and always open to thinking, what are we here and doing now in this moment, in this time? Behind me, you'll see I've got chaos on my bookshelves, and I realise it'd be very hypocritical of me if I'd tidied them all up, because life isn't tidy and neat and in alphabetical order. It is full of the latest things that have popped through the door that I haven't quite read or whatever, and the wall behind me does need to get painted, but I took a cupboard out a few weeks ago and life's got in the way. Life is messy, life is busy, we can't have it all perfect and packaged. So I think the lesson through all of this is God is constant. God is faithful. God will provide and travel with us. But we need to be ready. So if Jesus came and appeared, we could almost account for what we've been up to. There's elements in this uh, which sounds slightly like uh, Father Christmas is coming. Mm -hmm. the naughty and nice lists. Jesus is coming. Get, be, be busy. Is Jesus coming, the, the return, uh, an end or a beginning? Is it a full stop, therefore time is finished, or is it Jesus' returning and therefore something is going to happen? It's a great question, not one I'd fully thought about. I think it's returning, not mm. returned and there it ends. Yeah. And so if we think Jesus returns today 
and walks among us in the style that you read about in the Gospels and reaches out to the marginalised, the oppressed, those who have been ignored either by religious authorities or by broader society. What might Jesus begin to reflect and hold up to all of us as a mirror? We are on about the... Um, 31st 32nd day of the war between israel and hamas over nearly 10,000 palestinians have died in the gaza strip 1400 israelis have been killed we're about 622 23 days of the war in ukraine 22,000 civilian casualties half a million military people from either russia or ukraine have been killed the war in Yemen's been going on now for over nine years. At least 377,000 people have been killed. Let's be frank, if Jesus came back and walked today and saw us just sat at home and not really paying attention to the presence of violence within the world, for example, I think he might be crying over the world as Jerusalem once again. And mm -hmm. actually, our part of our Christian calling is to lament and reflect and weep with Jesus on the presence of violence and hurt in the world and then to think what is that calling us to we sh we can't just stop at the weeping we need to be doing more than that we need to be propelled into a form of action and and that feels quite important the the, the quite important understatement but the tell me something about the lament and the weeping because i i don't think i've been in many churches where we've been inclined to stay with that lamenting and mm. stay with those statistics that you've just given us. We, we sort of rush to the action sometimes. Yeah. Uh, most of, particularly the non-conformist churches, don't really know what to do with silence. Maybe if we sat with our Quakers, brothers and sisters more, we might learn more about the power yeah. of silence and certainly a lot of us all sprang from similar roots um centuries and eras and part of the role of silence is to sit and listen and open ourselves up i was running a workshop for primary age children last week and we did some meditation together at the end and i asked them different groups to think more carefully about what could they hear what did their body feel like what could mm. they smell Thankfully, no fart jokes there, but, you you know, always a risk. And I think the place of silence is what begins to open us up to lament because it's about stopping and being present. Since the war in Ukraine started, our network has held a weekly prayer session for peace in the world. It's got about 250 people who regularly receive the update and between about 30 and 80 people turn up from all around Europe from the Middle East, from America and Latin America. And one of the hymns that I often use when I'm leading it goes, look around you, can you see? Times are troubled, people grieve. See the violence, feel the hardness. All my people weep with me. Kyrie eleison. Christe eleison. Kyrie eleison. Mm -hmm. And if we look in particular at the prayers of intercessions, not just being a shopping list, it's a time of holding graciously and delicately before God the people, places and issues that matter. Mm. It's almost in the silence before the response that our hearts are moved and we begin to sense more what the calling of Christ in that moment is. I'm aware that silence is great, but it doesn't make great radio. A lot of us <laughs> casts 
Um, so I'm trying to say something that says nothing uh, and hold this sort of silence. I, I don't know how many times you've been round the lectionary. I, I did 23 years from the same pulpit. So that was a few laps of these texts. And I found it sort of fascinating. And I'm aware the alternate text is, is Amos 5. Um, don't give me your solemn assemblies. Don't give me your sacrifices. Let justice roll down like waters. Um, I will not listen to your harps, make righteous. You know, a classic, gorgeous text. But I wonder if we can move back to maybe the second coming, um, that piece from Thessalonians, where be it, and, and I, I may sound rather pejorative in some thoughts, a simplistic Jesus is going to come and take me up into the sky and all will be well. Mm -hmm. A kind of um, individualistic, yep. the end of the world is when I'm going to go with God into heaven. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think it was Bonhoeffer, the, the cheap grace idea of the doom of the Nazi regime coming, mm -hmm. the church being so wrapped up in a, Christianity is about going to heaven when we die and the second coming is about sort of that day mm. that prepare themselves to challenge you know the corruption that was in their midst would you comment on some of these thoughts yeah as you began I, I have to say I was drawn back to small slightly damp chapels a wheezy harmonium and that beautiful hymn, Sing we the King who is coming to reign, glory to Jesus the Lamb that was slain. Come let us sing, praise to our sing, uh, praise to our King. And verse three, all shall be well in his kingdom of peace. Freedom shall flourish and wisdom increase. For show, foe shall be freed when triumph we sing, sword shall be sickle when Jesus is King. And if we think about that reading from uh, Amos that you gave us and that great Baptist preacher who was an FOR member, Martin Luther King Jr., where he reminds us without justice, there can be no peace. and Without peace, there can be no justice. Yeah. And we think about the need for peace in the world today, particularly on Remembrance Day. We yeah. can have our false gatherings that simply glorify war or we can actually sit in silence and lament the pain. We can recognize the contribution through either piecework or serving in the military that people made throughout decades. And then we can open up and hold before God all those communities, both between nations, but also things like paramilitaries and other groups who do things like kill climate defenders. I mean, outrageous, but we need to open ourselves up to those in the world. And so if we are really to think carefully and to dwell more upon that, and in particular the Thessalonians reading, it's a strangely comforting one for a week that you think about those who've died doing all sorts of things, because with death, there comes a great sense of loss, a missed opportunity. And it's almost a quiet reminder that, well, we may still meet them again. Mm. It's not just those who are alive. It is those who have already traveled in the faith that you may meet. And particularly on a time like Remembrance Sunday, that invites us to think about stories. So what is the story of your chapel and your community? Not just the ones you like to tell, maybe of particularly military heroes or things, but also the other people. If you think particularly within the non-conformist networks, you soon see peace activists who were ostracized from their chapel, the chapel that had fed and inspired their faith to say there's an alternative to war. 
those are important stories to share and we'll meet all of them in heaven at some point but if jesus comes tomorrow he's got a lot more work to do and we need to be part of it mm. i think it was a couple of weeks ago we were preaching on on the death of moses and how god is still the god of abraham isaac and jacob and god is not god of the dead but of the living yeah. uh, this idea that death simply isn't a category that god notices we do Mm-hmm. And it's hugely important for us. But in that divine uh, world, remit, the resurrection, it's not a turning back of death, but an understanding that death could not hold. And yes, as we're coming to the end of our calendar year, we've done all Saints Day, or Souls Day. Some of us may have led services of remembrance and thanksgiving for those that have died this, this year. Could you say something about the both the comfort of the idea that we may meet our loved ones again, but also some of the dangers of of that kind of thinking of simplifying it too much? Mm. It may have been an unfair question, John. It's a really important question because the role of a preacher is not to give easy answers but to give honest answers that they themselves have reached in the week in the time in the context that they're preaching on that particular week we met ourselves again we might come to different answers because the world and our perspectives is different so there is a danger in sort of simplifying it yeah i think we also have to recognize the world is deeply sentimental we walk into most people's houses we will see photos or hear stories of people who are no longer with us Mm. whether it's your beloved granny or a pet or whatever and if we ignore the fact that we're shaped by the people who traveled before us then actually we lose a huge amount of both who we are as individuals who we are as a church community gathering but also who we are as a country and as a world Mm. so i think the danger of simplifying it is simply saying when you die, you'll meet Auntie Edith and she'll give you cream cakes and fizzy pop like you always used to have. The strength of actually reading it as there is a chance we'll meet others again is by saying you've been shaped by them and we may meet them again. And mm. in this moment that you have on this earth, what will you do? We're back mm. to that thief in the night story not necessarily about accountability but saying we all have that moment we can all make an impact Mm. but unless you decide and do something for yourself you you won't as you're saying that my eyes have just fallen on psalm 78 one of our texts to call Mm. to remember Um, we will not hide them from their children we will tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the lord and his might the wonders that he has done and we've had that, and we always have this in the in the Psalms, this retelling of the story of faith, reminding us that we are not alone. We are part of links in a chain and a chain that is God's. Um, and I wonder if, you know, in our, I mentioned our church, 1748, we were founded. Perhaps it was easier when generations of families were Baptists or were Methodists or were Anglicans. And now the choice is immense in terms of 
10 miles. Wouldn't dream of walking 10 miles to go to church. It would take three hours. But in days of yore, maybe they did. But you naturally went to your local church and stories and the forgetfulness just wasn't wasn't like it is today. We are very time specific in our faith and in our sort of grounding. And maybe the stories of faith that we've heard and, yeah, that the lectionary says at this time of year in particular, the nights are drawing in. We, we remember, you know, it's autumn. The leaves are falling. Things are closing down. We know that spring will come. Mm. But something about recapping at this time of year, all that has gone before as well. And that's really important. I love the Psalms and I always try to include them in most services that I do because they're incredibly human in a way mm. that in a way other bits are not. Other bits are trying to tell you stuff. Often the Psalms are trying to express and explore something. Now, yeah. Asaph, who was doing this, was sort of more like a paid court musician for King David. And, and so this is a bit more proclamation, an official role he was fulfilling. But I think it's a helpful reminder, even within this, to think and listen more carefully about different people's stories and how that influences what's happening now. So if we, for example, think about the horrendous, horrific situation in Israel and Palestine. If we don't spend time listening to the stories of Palestinians and the Nakba and the pain, we mm. might not understand why there's a problem. If we don't spend time listening to not just stories of the Holocaust, but long-held stories of pogroms and other things, and look at the movement of Jewish people around the world and how so much of that was fueled by rejection and violence and hurt. And that's when you do get the need to sit and hear those stories and then think, what are those stories telling us? And how do we then either in situations of conflict transform it into a new story or at least sit with the pain because we hear it bigger mm -hmm. and bolder and you're right this is the time of year to do that there's a brilliant children's tv series called nog in the nog that i grew up with and that always starts with it's you know it's winter we're sat around the log fires and here's a tale from times gone by and this is very much that sort of moment it is a very long psalm and you'll be grateful and those in your chapels who are reading it will be grateful you've only got seven verses because we don't have all of the long names and all the rest in here. But the principle in the heart is there that no matter what is faced and what is going on, there is hope to be found. God's love will spring forth. But we need to within that keep the commandments. We need to within that remember the story that we're stepping out of. I love it. I'd forgotten about nogging the nog. Um that verse two, I will open my mouth in a parable, I not in an answer or in a question. Mm. I will utter dark sayings from of old. What a fantastic phrase that is. I've never seen that phrase. Obviously, yeah. I have. One. <laughs> dark sayings from of old. It's highlighting this is not simple. None of these texts are simple. Uh, run away if you, anybody thinks it is. Things that we have heard and known that our ancestors have told us. We only bother telling people stuff that's important. Mm. But yeah, these are dark sayings from of old. That feels like a brilliant opening line for the next sermon I preach. <laughs> Covers a multitude of sins. Absolutely. And it's because it's a dark saying. But mm. uh, 
John, thank you very much. You, you've mentioned already that the, the pulpit is not a place for uh, us to answer things too quickly. I ask all my guests, is it a place for questions or a place for answers? Give me some nuance there. I think it's a space for both. But the minister or the person preaching or leading the reflection needs to reach a form of conclusion while mm. also leaving space for everyone to juggle their questions. Mm. Now, that may sound overly nuanced, but I have sat through some sermons where people stand up and say, I've had all these questions and I don't know where to go. And mm. as someone sat in the congregation, you then feel disempowered with your own questions because you're almost like, well, if they can't reach any conclusion, what hope have I? Whereas the reality is saying, actually, no, here's what I've seen. Here's what I've thought. And here's where I've got to. And it might not be for you. So go out and explore what whatever we've talked about means for you this week. And as you do, here are some things to think about. And that then means you're not saying here is the sole only way. You're helping people on their own individual journey. Because congregations mm -hmm. are amazing. They're one of the few diverse mixed spaces left in society. So you need to remember that as you preach but you still need to be honest to who you are. Mm. And the best sermons come when people are honest to who they are and you can feel it and you can hear it and you don't have to agree with it because you can feel it's true to them in that moment. But if all they give you is here's who I am and don't leave you space to say, Hmm, and here's where I'm juggling, mm. then you mm. do hit a bit. So sometimes I like to uh, do a bit of sort of Bible commentary before the readings and learning mm -hmm. a bit from Ignatian and uh, I think it's the Jesuits do a great podcast and invite people, you know, as you hear this, you might like to listen up for this. Or as the gospel reading happens, you might like to imagine yourself as one of the characters and then bring that into the sermon. Uh, I've got that here. I cannot tell why he whom angels worships, et cetera, et cetera. I cannot tell. But this I know. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So highlighting these things um if i was better at my hymnody i'd know who and when but um i'm sure okay. annie will put that in the notes yeah yeah there'll be a nice little caption that will pop up and all, all shall sort itself out just thinking back on some of the lines you pulled up from the psalm i have to give a shout out to um a bit of a well she's called a potential baptist saint of mine and if we think about the stories that we tell a woman called muriel lester my goodness, what a force for nature she was. Between about the 1920s and 1950s, she was an international advocate for peace, pacifism and nonviolence, formed, uh, formed in a Baptist family, travelled the world, got to know Gandhi, invited Gandhi back to the UK. But she didn't just do the preaching. She spent loads of time working in the slums of London, where with her sister, she built up a huge bit of social work that fed the poor and fed the outcasts, created community, love, and a healthy meal every day for whoever crossed her path. And I think that's a really important story to tell. And it's not one that's often shared or spoken about because it reminds us, particularly at times when it can be tempting to sort of overthink it, that we need to be meeting and serving the world as it is today, even mm -hmm. if it is for that bigger cause and glory in her case peace and pacifism which obviously i'd agree with and we all got our own views but she didn't forget about the here and now so that was muriel lester 
Yep. I can see her biographies flying off the shelves. Good. Uh, but a story and a fresh story that might be worth digging into as you prepare for your sermons this week. John, thank you so much for coming on and sharing us your wisdom with these reflections today. Uh, if you want to know more about uh, John's cause, and forgive me, John, I've lost all my bits of paper, uh, the Fellowship of Reconciliation. It will go on their website, I'm sure. And I've been on there this morning and they've got a variety of resources, especially coming up to Remembrance Sunday. So thank you, John, for all you've given us to chew on. And thank you uh, to the listeners out there. Thank you. If you've enjoyed listening to this episode of Politics in the Pulpit, please leave us a review wherever you garner your podcasts. Um, we also have online spaces. Uh, let me just read it out so I get the right text. Uh, Twitter X at pulpit underscore pulpit, uh, pulpit underscore politics, or using the hashtag politics in the pulpit. And we have a Facebook group, which you can access through the Joint Public Issues team Facebook page just on the website jpit.uk. Let's go into this week confident in the God of love. And I've got a blessing from the first century from St. Clement of Rome. We beseech you, Master, to be our helper and our protector. Save the afflicted among us. Have mercy on the lowly. Raise up the fallen. Appear to the needy. Heal the ungodly. Restore the wanderers of your people. Feed the hungry, ransom the prisoners, raise up the sick, comfort the faint-hearted. Go in peace this week. Amen.